Wow, praise the Lord. That was fantastic, y'all. That was really great. So, Merry Christmas to you all. I'm so glad that you're here, and I'm so glad that it's Christmas, aren't you? Man, just to celebrate together. I mean, we've, we've had kind of a rough year, and uh, I'm kind of looking forward to the fact that we're ending it off with some real positivity. And so I think that's, uh, that's an important thing. As we're getting ready here in a second, let me just say this. Matt had mentioned how uh, next Sunday they'll be with us in the morning, and then they'll head off and move and all that sort of thing. I don't want you, church, to think that we're going to ha- we're gonna have a big special send-off for them too. It'll come in January. So if you were sitting there wondering, they're, they're just going to be, no, we're going to have a big send-off for them and uh, it'll be in January, and so we'll see that time, and uh, you'll hear, m- hear more about that as well. But we're excited today just to be able to celebrate. We're obviously going to talk about the Christmas story, and the thing specifically that I want to talk about has to do with our reaction to the story. Look, most all of us know the story, right? We all know the story, and, and probably that's why all of us are here. We're here to celebrate, but uh, before we get into that Christmas story, I, I would like to just take a few minutes and talk a little bit about, you know, what this year's been all about. I, if you're going to keep track of the notes, you don't have to. It's on the back of your bulletin. I wrote in there that we can begin this conversation today just by remembering some of our problems. And, uh, you know, as they say, 2020 is, well, it's one for the books, right? Uh, some of the insanity that has happened in this year probably will roll into next year. Um, but 2020 introduced us to COVID, uh, a pandemic. I didn't know that I knew what that meant. I thought there was only epidemics, but apparently that's worse. Uh, there's been a lot of panic and fear-mongering and a lot of reactive news reporting. There's been government manipulation of that. There's been control and lockdowns. This is not just the opinion of some weird right-winger. These are facts. It has been a crushing blow to our economy. And, and now, finally, you know, to, to, just to add more controversy into the waters, we finally have a vaccine. And if our country's never been more polarized or visibly polarized, uh, it's certainly pretty obvious with this vaccine, isn't it? I mean, will it be mandatory? Are you going to get fired from your job if you don't take it? I mean, what if businesses are required to not allow you to shop without proof of vaccination? These are the things some people are talking about, right? I do know this. I have a dear friend who happens to live in Istanbul in Turkey, and uh, he has shared with me how they already have instituted that every person on their phone has to have a QR code, and that QR code will show whether or not you have been cleared to not be a danger to the public health. In other words, you're not sick and you've proven it, and how frequently they update that, I don't know. But he said, for example, you can't enter any public space, malls, restaurants of any sort, unless you've got your phone, you've got that code, and you're cleared under any circumstance. Uh, These are things that are happening around the world. Do we dare talk about politics? (laughs) No, of course not. Let's not. Why ruin a good day? Um... (laughs) But without question, you know, I, I'm, I'm past the midpoint of my life, and this, without question, has been the craziest election I've ever experienced. Hotly contested, still people are arguing, how's it going to come out? Uh, some people want to know whether our free and fair 
vote has been stolen? Has our entire democratic republic been demolished? Is Trump just the evil dictator that refuses to accept the, the election results? Uh, there's opinions all over the spectrum. What about the violent protests? What about the cities burning? What about the race riots? What about defunding the police? All of these things introduced to us in this crazy year. And maybe that stuff hasn't been as devastating to you personally on a daily basis. Maybe you personally have just gone through some incredible personal difficulty, not associated with the national story at all. Maybe somebody's done you wrong. Maybe they've left you or cheated you or robbed you or hurt you in some way. I know this. Man, don't, aren't you just glad to put 2020 in your rearview mirror and move on? Wouldn't you just like to buy an island and invite like a hundred of your best friends and just go start over in peace and sounds like a good idea. How about this? Aren't, aren't you sick of Jeff talking about this in church? <laughs> well, I am too. So, although those things are our current reality, I, I think it's obviously time to shift that conversation and end the year better. That, that just sets the stage for us to think about how we can end the year better, right? It's Christmas. So rather than just remembering the problems, the next little blank I have in your notes says to realign our perspectives. And that's what I'd like to try and encourage us to do today. Let's end 2020 with an attempt to realign our personal perspective on life in general. And rather than just coming to a church service on Christmas Day or watching online because it's Christmas, rather than, and then going back to our otherwise normal daily routine now, which may include complaining and worrying and arguing and fighting and stressing out. And Can I just offer for you some balancing truths to some of these challenges that we've faced? So rather than focusing on how many people are getting sick and how many people, sadly, are losing their life, I know that for some individuals, they're going through it, and for some people, it has been very, very challenging. But I think for the vast majority of people listening today, you're probably doing okay. How are you feeling today? You feeling okay? I'm feeling okay. I mean, let's not get too far out of whack because, well, the truth of the matter is people get sick every year, and sadly, some people pass away every year, and Let's not let this one get on our radar too much. Well, what about that evil government that's going to destroy us? Well, I mean, I don't know about you. Maybe it's just because we live in a nice little community here. But for me, I mean, our daily life is still okay, right? Everybody seems to get along just fine on a daily basis so far. I'm not currently hindered from going and doing what I need to do. Probably you're not either. And by the way, it's probably fair for you to realize that whether you recognized it before or not, I mean, all governments are corrupt all the time. That's just the power of positive thinking. Uh, <laughs> what about some people who are saying, fill in the blank with your favorite terrible conspiracy idea? Has it happened yet? Are you certain that it's going to happen? What if you just decided 
to turn the TV off for a while? What if you just didn't have to always stare at your phone and look at the internet and listen to what some self-proclaimed expert thinks? What if you actually left social media aside for a while and picked up your Bible a little more frequently? You think that would make a difference? Because I'm going to tell you something. 2020 is not the year that introduced to us that people are constantly talking. People have been constantly talking forever. You don't have to listen. Well, the new thing, they're going to they're gonna force us to take this vaccine. Well, nobody's jamming needles in you without your consent yet. And by the way, that's going to be hard for them to do anytime soon. Okay, Jesus said in Matthew 6, 34, Take therefore no thought for the morrow. For the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Why are you worrying about what might be? Just consider today. What has God given you today, and how can you respond today? And you know how you can do that? You can do that by applying what Jesus said in the verse previous to that, verse 33, which says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God, and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Yeah, sure, our country is completely polarized, 50-50, and that each side is absolutely sure that the other side is crazy. And they're very passionate about their side. But why don't we, as Christian people, consider standing out as different? Why don't we have, have your opinion, but don't fight about it? What if we just trust the Lord and leave people alone? You know, Romans 12, 18 says this, If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, Live peaceably with all men. Now, sometimes it's not possible, and sometimes it doesn't lie in you, but as much as it does, live peaceably with everybody who agrees with your side. No, with all men. John chapter 13, Jesus said in verse 35, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one to another. 2 Timothy 2, 24 and 25, And the servant of the Lord. You consider yourself a servant of the Lord? The servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient. They, you don't agree with everybody all the time, but you don't have to fight about it all the time. Rather, verse 25, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. Are you sure that you're right? Okay, well, be meek about it. Don't strive. Try to help people see the other side, but, you know, leave it to God. Leave it to God. Because the truth of the matter is, your personal perspective, even if you shift it, that doesn't mean that your perspective shift is actually going to change the circumstances and the details of society today or tomorrow. That's true. But you know what it will do? It will change your ability to enjoy it day by day. That's what it'll change. It's Christmas time. And over 2,000 years ago, 
when Jesus Christ was born. You know, they had some challenging circumstances as well. I mean, if we go to Luke chapter 2, and that's where we're going to be, so you can open your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. The beginning part is the typical Christmas story that we always read together, and I'm not going to read that part. We're going to study a little bit farther down in Luke chapter 2 today, but it is the story of the birth of Jesus Christ. And at this time in history, the Israelites, well, they had government issues as well. They were ruled by the pagan Roman Empire who loved harassing the people. There was a lot of things that were going on in that day, and we see even in verse number one, there was a worldwide taxation system that required Joseph and Mary to travel and return to the town of Joseph's origin, that would be Bethlehem. When they arrive in Bethlehem, they find, you know the story, there's no vacancies right at any of the inns. Down you get to verse number four, and so what do they end up doing? They end up spending the night in somebody else's barn. And then down about verse 7, we see ultimately that Mary gives birth to Jesus there in that stable. And, and certainly, I try and put myself into a story when I read it. I don't know if you do that. That is helpful, I find. Certainly, that isn't what they would have preferred. Certainly, you would call that at a minimum an inconvenience, wouldn't you? But we know the story now after the fact, don't we? And we know that even in the midst of all of that, God was still working, amen? God was doing some amazing things. And so from verses 8 to 14 in chapter 2, you can look at those on your own. This is the part where God announces to the shepherds in the field that Jesus is born, and, and then they come down and he tells them the details and the sign and all this sort of thing, and ultimately glory to God in the highest, on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And so then these shepherds say, wow, really, we have to go and see. And so they go to see the Christ child for themselves. And amidst all of these challenging circumstances, Young couple, Joseph and Mary, travel all this way at the very end of the ninth month. She ultimately gives birth in the worst possible place that you could have imagined. What do they do in the midst of all of these circumstances? You know what they do? They follow the scriptures. That's what they do. And you can go down to verse 21 of this chapter and you'll see that according to the law, they circumcised Jesus Christ on the eighth day, that was the Jewish requirement of the law. We see that Mary completed her legal requirements before the law of God for purification and separation in verse number 22, which actually comes from Leviticus chapter 12, where in Leviticus chapter 12, when a Hebrew woman has a male child, she has to separate herself for a period of 40 days. And then ultimately, at the end of those 40 days, they'll bring that child to the tabernacle and present him to the priest. And that's where we pick up the story in Luke 2.24, where it says, And to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. That comes from Leviticus 12, like I mentioned. But I want to read a couple verses of Leviticus 12 just to show you why they did that with a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons because in Leviticus 12, verse 6 through 8, it says this, And when the days of her purifying are fulfilled for a son or for a daughter, she shall bring a lamb 
of the first year for a burnt offering and a young pigeon or a turtle dove for a sin offering unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation unto the priest who shall offer it before the Lord and make an atonement for her and she shall be cleansed from the issue of her blood. This is the law for her that hath borne a male or a female and if she be not able to bring a lamb then she shall bring two turtles or two young pigeons the one for the burnt offering and the other for a sin offering and the priest shall make atonement for her and she shall be clean. So because Mary and Joseph were so poor, they had no lamb. They couldn't afford a lamb. So if there's provision in the law, if you couldn't afford a lamb, if you had no lamb, that you would bring the turtle doves or you would bring the pigeons. But that was okay because whether they knew it or not, their newborn son was the lamb. And that offering was to be done at the temple with the priest. Now, this was the scenario at the first Christmas. A poor, young, engaged couple with child, already the shame of their society, required by the government to travel at the worst possible time at the demand of greedy pagan tax collectors and end up giving birth to their first child in a barn. That's Christmas. That's the original story of Christmas. What I want us to see is what were then the initial reactions. After that happened, what were the initial reactions of the people who had their first encounter with Jesus Christ? Because there's three of them recorded here in Luke chapter 2. And I would like for you to consider that at least one of these three reactions that we'll see should be your reaction too, depending on where you're at with the Lord. So the first thing we're going to look at is personal salvation. Personal salvation. While they're in the temple, there were other faithful Jewish believers that saw the the young child, the 40-day-old Jesus Christ, and they knew some things. So we'll pick up the story in Luke 2.25 and go down through verse 32. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, Then took he him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. He held up that baby Jesus and he said, your servant, my eyes have seen your salvation because the name Jesus means literally Jehovah saves he's the Savior he is the salvation of God and he's offered to all the world that's why a light to lighten even the Gentiles not just God's people Israel of that time well that's what we see that it says in Titus chapter 2 and verse number 11 where it says for the grace of God that bringeth salvation, hath appeared to all men. 
Well, that's Jesus Christ. That's his first coming. That's Christmas. And it goes on in a couple of verses down in 13 and 14. And it says, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. You see, Jesus Christ came to this world. We all know that he was the eternal word of God. He was eternally existing before the time that he took on flesh and dwelt among men. But he came to this earth as a man with a specific purpose. And that was to offer salvation, to save sinners from hell. Luke 19.10 says, For the Son of Man has come. Why? To seek and to save that which is lost. That's why he came. 1 Timothy 1.15 says it this way. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. So one of the reactions to the Christ child now being presented in the temple, I've seen the salvation of the Lord. Let me ask you a question. Have you been saved? Do you know 100% for certain that, God forbid, if your physical life were to end today, that your eternal home would be with God in heaven? If in the off chance that that were to happen and you were to stand before the God of heaven, I don't know that it works this way, but consider if it worked this way, that God were to ask you a question standing at the gates. Why should I let you in here? And your answer to that question would determine whether or not you got in. What would your answer be? Do you know it? You see, if you don't know it, well, good news, because you can know it. Because that's the reason Jesus came. That's what he came to share with us. That's the gospel story. That's the story of Jesus Christ dying on the cross for all of our sins. You need to understand today, as it says in Romans 3 and verse 23, that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That means you. That means me. That means your saintly grandmother. That means the nicest person you've ever known. All have sinned. We've all blown it. We've all done things we regret. We're all in error at some level. Some more, some less. It doesn't matter. We've all sinned and therefore come short of God's glory because, of course, He's pure and holy without sin. And then further down in Romans, in chapter number 6, it says in verse 23, for the wages of sin is death. Now that verse goes on to say the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We'll come back to that in just a second. Right now, let's just focus on the wages of sin is death. A wage, you understand, is that thing that you earn as a result of the work that you do. The wage of what we have done, we have sinned, is death. Now everybody knows that life has a certain cycle. Everybody knows that children are born and they live a certain amount of time and hopefully they get to live into their 70s, 80s or more and then the time comes that physical life ends. We understand that and, and death 
comes because of sin. But when the Bible talks about the wages of sin being death, you need to understand it doesn't just talk about physical death. Because the Bible specifically defines for us something that we could refer to as a spiritual death. In fact, it's called specifically the second death. In Revelation 21, in verse number 8, it says this, Notice, But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. God defines for you what that second death is. It's a place that's a burning lake of fire. We typically refer to that as hell. The Bible refers to it in that way in other places. So if the story were to stop right here, it's really bad news. Every single one of us have sinned. There's a wage to be paid for that sin, and that wage is death, which really means the second death and hell. That means that if the Bible's true, and the Bible is true, that every single man, woman, boy, and girl, because of the sin that we have committed, has our eternal home pointed towards hell. And that's the fact. But God loved the world so much that he didn't leave us in that situation, right? That's what we see in Romans chapter 5 and verse number 8. God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, while we were yet his enemies, while we were yet in opposition to him, he loved us so much. He said, I'm going to come and die in your place. You deserve to die. Jesus doesn't deserve to die. He's the only one who ever lived without sin. He's the only one who never should have died. But he died because he died in our place. Probably everybody is familiar with the story of creation and Adam and Eve in the garden. And if you go back and read that story in Genesis chapter 3, you'll find that, of course, God made Adam and Eve perfect and he placed them in the garden. And they only had one rule. They were to... They could do whatever they want. They could eat whatever they want. But one tree and one tree only they weren't allowed to eat from. And God used to come down and fellowship with Adam and Eve in the garden in the cool of the day. And they would hang out and they have a great time together. And then one day came and the serpent came and he deceived Eve. And she took the fruit and she ate of it. And she gave to Adam and he ate of it with her. And sin entered in because they disobeyed God's rule. And so now they're sinners. And And if I were just to use my Bible as an illustration and say, Adam and Eve were in the garden, and let's say the Bible represents sin, it now creates a barrier. God comes down to have fellowship with man, and he can't because there's a barrier. That barrier is sin. And it doesn't really matter if that barrier, if you have a lot of sin, or maybe you just have a little bit of sin. It doesn't matter if you're better off than your neighbor. It doesn't matter if you're a better person than somebody you know. Because you have sin too, and I have sin too. And it becomes a barrier. But what happened is, Jesus Christ came. We have this problem. But God sent Jesus Christ to die in our place. He's the only one that had no sin. He's the one who didn't have to die. But he willingly took our sin on him so that we now can have fellowship with God again. 
It's that simple and it's that important. In fact, it's so important, that's the reason that he came. Jesus Christ came to pay the penalty for the sins of the whole world. But the fact that he died for the sins of the whole world does not mean that the whole world automatically gets to go to heaven. That's what some people wish, but that's not true. We know that's not true because we read in Revelation chapter 21 a whole list of people who are going to the lake that burns with fire and brimstone. So some people aren't making it, right? There has to be something. What's the difference? What must I do? How do I know how I can make sure I'm saved? How can I know that I get that gift? Well, we'll glance at 1 John chapter 5, verses 11 and 12, where it says this, And this is the record, that God has given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not the life. This is the record. God has given to us eternal life. Go back to Romans 6, like we said earlier. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So I I brought a little gift up here. And this gift is a legitimate gift. And it's wrapped in some wrapping. It's Christmas time. It's what we do. We give gifts, and the gifts come in a wrapping. And so this is a good illustration. God has given to us a gift. The gift is defined as eternal life. And according to 1 John 5, that eternal life is wrapped in something. It's wrapped in the Son of God. And if you don't have the Son of God, you don't have the life. But if you have the Son of God, you also have eternal life. And legitimately, God did this for you, each and every one of you. And it's as though he's standing on the edge of heaven and extending his hand and saying, I have a gift for each and every one of you. Would you like it? Because... Just because Jesus died to secure the gift, just because God offers the gift, doesn't make it yours unless you receive the gift for yourself. So if the gift is made available and you sit there and you say, oh, that's nice, man, thanks. And then when we're done here, you get up and walk out well, is that, is that gift yours? No, somebody did something really nice. They offered you a gift, but you didn't receive it for yourself, so it's not yours, right? It's only yours when you come up and you take it, and you take it for yourself. And that's what God is waiting for. He's waiting for somebody to come and to take that thing personally for themselves and say, I want it. I would like to have it. Can I have it? But people don't do that. They think, well, that can't be right. They think, I must have to do something more than that. I must have to lead kind of a good life. I must certainly have to go to church a few times. I must certainly have to give some money to charity. I must certainly have to... Well, why would you think that you need to make up your own system when God revealed to you His system? You couldn't do it on your own if you wanted to, so he made it super easy. I did it for you, and I'm offering it to you as a free gift. It comes wrapped in the package of Jesus Christ. 
You can't say, well, I don't prefer it in Jesus Christ. I'm going to take it in the name of Buddha. I'm sorry, it's not wrapped in Buddha. <laughs> it's wrapped in Jesus. That's who it's wrapped in. That's where it comes. I mean, you're either going to take the gift he secured or you're going to make up your own gift. But good luck with that because there's no guarantee that'll work for you. That's what it says in John chapter 1 and verse number 12. But as many as received him, Jesus Christ, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. You say, I, I want to I do that. I want to receive Jesus Christ. I don't. How do, I, how do I do that? I don't know how to do that. Well, it's not hard. I mean, the Bible does describe for you exactly all you have to do, right? It says, as many as received him, to them gave you power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. So in Romans 10, we see this, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Would you like to receive, receive the free gift of eternal life in Jesus Christ today? Are you not sure that you have it? Would you like to make sure you can have it today, right now? Just cry out to him. Believe what he did is legit. Receive it for your very self. Recognize it was your sin that nailed him to that cross. Oh yeah, it was mine too, but don't worry about me. Worry about you. It was your sin, so receive it for yourself. And when you do that, well, the Bible says you shall be saved. And that, and that applies to everybody, anybody at all who wants to. In fact, Romans 10, 13 says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Not might be saved, not might be saved if they continue to live a really good life going forward. No, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And that's all there is to it. Now, you know what's funny? I bought this gift and had it wrapped to use it for this illustration for salvation. And I was sort of thinking somebody might come and take it. And nobody come and came and took it. And you know what that, you know what that tells me? Because uh, I know, I know, some of you are out there thinking, I wonder what that thing is. <laughs> I mean, I'd like to have it, but what would people think? I mean, I'm not just walking down front. That'd be weird. How embarrassing. What might people say? You know, that's the same excuse people use for not getting saved. The same exact excuse people use for not getting saved. They say, well, you know, that sounds good to me, but, I mean, my grandmother, you know, she went to this kind of a church, and she just wouldn't like it. Or my family was different, and, you know, that just wouldn't go well. Or, you know, my friends might make fun of me. Or I might have to do this or that. And because you're more worried about what other people think, you're never going to receive the gift that was offered to you. This is really easy, y'all. We're going to get to a couple other points, and it's not going to take a long time. I'll be done in just a minute, but, man, if you're in that category and you're not sure that you've ever received that free gift of eternal life, I want to give you a chance to do that right now. Super easy. Nobody's going to bug you, but we're going to pray together. I'm going to lead us in a prayer. And if you mean it, you ask God into your heart. You ask him to save you. Let's pray together. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you so much for dying on the cross for my sins. I know that I deserve it. I deserve hell. I deserve death. I deserve all those things. I for sure have sinned. I come way short of your glory. But Lord, I don't want to experience the second death. 
Lord, I, I want to have eternity with you. And so I just pray, Lord Jesus, that you'd forgive me of my sins. I pray that you'd come into my heart and into my life and give me the free gift of eternal life. I receive you right now as my personal Lord and Savior. Lord, I surrender everything I know about me to everything I know about you. You come and be the Lord. You come and be the boss. You come and call the shots. You come into my heart, into my life. That's all I want. And I'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. I just want to tell you something. Nobody's going to bother you here at this church, I promise you. But if, if you sincerely prayed that prayer just now, you, you can know that you're saved. And when the service is over and we'll sing a final song or two, we would like to be able to help you if you would be willing, that connection card that's in the pew in front of you. If you would mark something down on there that you made a decision, man, we, we'll contact you. We want to help you grow. We want to help you understand those things. But the most important reaction that anybody can have to the coming of the Christ, well, it's personal salvation. There is no greater. But there are two other reactions, and let's look at those. It won't take long. The second one is personal satisfaction. And then we're going to jump down to verse 36 of Luke 2, and there's another character named Anna. And it says, And there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asser. And she was of great age and had lived with an husband seven years from her virginity. And she was a widow of about fourscore and four years, which departed not from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. So Anna was faithful to the Lord in the temple. She served God every single day. The minute that she saw the 40-day-old Jesus Christ, she knew immediately that the Scriptures would indeed be fulfilled and that God would keep His promise and you know what her reaction was? Verse 38. And she coming in that instant gave thanks likewise unto the Lord. Don't you know that Anna had some problems in her life? Don't you know she lived a long, hard life? I'm sure she was married young. Her husband only lived seven years after their marriage. And it says she had been a widow for the next 80 years four years you do the math she was a jewess she knew the scriptures but she's living under an oppressive roman government and her reaction as a believer to the coming of jesus christ was that she was thankful she gave thanks and that should be our reaction too you can do that when your heart is satisfied 1 Thessalonians 5.18, in fact, says it this way, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. God, what is your will for my life? Well, give thanks. In everything, in 2020, give thanks. You know, there's still a lot to be thankful for. You can be thankful for your personal salvation, amen? Regardless of recent problems in society, you're not of this world if you're saved. You're only in it. There's a guaranteed eternal home for every born-again Christian beyond this present evil world. You can be thankful that God is fulfilling His promises. Christmas is Jesus Christ coming to earth. 
And he did, and he lived a sinless life, and he died, and he was buried, and he rose again according to the Scriptures. And he's coming again. It's a guarantee to make everything right, to make everything new. You can hang on just a little longer. Romans 8 says in verse 18, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. Yeah, it's bad. But you know when it's the darkest? Right before the dawn. And you can be thankful for the fact that hope is still greater than fear. Christmas should remind you of that. Romans 5 says in verse 3, And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also. That sounds crazy. Why? Knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. And that hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Man, that hope brings about this reaction that we understand and that we're not ashamed, which actually leads us to our final reaction. That's the third one. I'm going to call it personal sharing. The last part of verse 38. She coming in that instant gave thanks likewise unto the Lord and spake of him to all them that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. You know that you're saved today. You know that you have your home secured in heaven. Praise the Lord for that. Your reaction should be personally speaking of him to all who are looking for redemption. That's what we should be doing as faithful followers, worshipers, disciples, servants of God. If you know that your sins are forgiven, if you know that you've received the free gift of eternal life, if you are thankful for the blessings even in the face of difficulties, then you can't keep this good news to yourself. That would be evil. you got to tell others if you really believe it. Acts chapter 4, we have Peter and James and John, and they were forbidden for preaching Jesus, and their reaction in verse number 20 says, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians 9, 16, For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of, for necessity is laid upon me, yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. Man, I, I've experienced so much. I am so full. I have received so much. The world is in such darkness. There's so much need out there. I have to personally share the good news with them those of you who are already believers how did you come to know about jesus the first time somebody else shared it with you the greatest thing anybody's ever done for you was to share that with you therefore by extension the greatest thing you could ever do for anybody else is to share it with them and if you want to think about it this way i mean what if all these people that are talking about the end of the world is coming. What, what if they're right? What if we really don't have many years left? Have you ever noticed whenever God is going to show up on the scene as the deliverer at his first coming? You can go back to the picture of Moses if you want in Egypt. The times and the circumstances for the regular people 
was severe and it was awful. Hmm. What if it might be now or very soon? If it indeed is near the end. Really, seriously, y'all. What is the single most important thing that you could possibly ever do? Argue about politics? I, I would politely even say, even worry about your physical health? Not as much as making sure you're secure in eternity. It's most certainly telling others that there's a way out before it's too late. Don't be that guy who, after it's too late, is sorry. Man, I should have told my loved ones. Man, I should have told my friends. Man, I should have told my co-workers. But it's too late. Tell them now. There's salvation in Jesus Christ. These are the reactions to Christmas. Personal salvation. Have you done that? Because if you did it today, for example, man, in just a couple of minutes, just let us know. We want to help you. Personal satisfaction. Can you truly give thanks just knowing Christmas, Jesus is here. He's, it's going to be okay. And personal sharing. That world is dark out there, y'all. We carry the light. We need to tell them about it. That being said, let's all stand together. We're going to pray. And then we're going to continue to worship. Let's stand. Lord Jesus, we praise you and we thank you for coming to this earth in the form of a child growing up to be the perfect man, never having sinned and yet willingly dying on the cross for our sins. God, we are truly thankful and we cast all our care upon you because you care for us. There's nothing that we could do. There's nothing we need to do to worry about all of these things. Worry not about the morrow. Lord, we just need to care about whatever it is we're doing today. How are we behaving today? How are we reacting today? Whom are we telling about you today? Are we giving thanks today? Do we know that we know you today? And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would be pleased with our lives as we continue on always remembering. Sure, you came to the earth physically a couple thousand years ago, but you dwell in our hearts by faith every single day to give us the strength we need to glorify you. We thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.